You're listening to Nightlight. Hi, welcome once again to Nightlight. Well, this week we have back on the program Mark McMillan. You met Mark on Nightlight recently talking about the end times, uh, particularly in relation to his Prophecies of Daniel video series. This week, he's going to be sharing his testimony as well as his thoughts on a few other topics. First of all, though, we'll start with a song. And all the songs on the show today are taken from a wonderful album of classic witnessing songs, mostly written in the late 60s during the days of the Jesus Revolution. Here's the title track of that album, Someone Sent Us Here. Take a drive through the town, see the people running round, see them frown, hear the sound. Cities being built, babies born, our country torn, awaits the storm. Don't have the time to say hello, wouldn't know how anyway. They're too busy worrying about themselves, and loving doesn't pay. Loving doesn't pay Loving doesn't pay yeah. Walk the streets so alone at night Gone fishing for the truth But you can't get a bite Like to take off your head And rest a while Put your feet on the ground and learn how to smile Brother, someone sent us here someone To talk to people like you Lift up your heart to the holy man You tell you what to do You tell you what to do Someone sent us here. And let's see how many songs we have time for during the course of today's program from that album. On the show today, I've invited back onto the show, Mark McMillan. Nightlight's interview of the week. Welcome, Mark, back to Nightlight. Last time you told us about your Prophecies of Daniel video series. On this show, I'd like you to share with our listeners something of your testimony and any other topics that you'd like to talk about. Yeah, it's um, somewhat hard to put in words because it has to do with a near-death experience Mm -hmm. that I had. In fact, in some ways, sort of a few of them. And in near-death experiences, so often, you know, somebody dies and then they go out of their body and they have the angel comes and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Except there's some testimonies that doesn't exactly happen like that. Mm -hmm. It happens with the other guy and they go the other direction. And that's what happened to me. But it's like the Bible says, all things work together for good. And in my case, I totally know that's what I needed, and that did work together for good. Um, sometimes you hear about doubting Thomas, and, and Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. 
-hmm. And it's almost virtually like that with me in some ways. I mean, it's not that I've seen the Lord, but some of the things that have happened to me have been so clear and so specific and so... mm, Even the people that do the near-death experiences, sometimes they run out of words. And sometimes you find Bible things in the Bible, you can see they they can't quite describe what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And that happens to me. And I'll I'll try to do what I can, but... um, so I grew up in Texas. I grew up in a very, actually, a very good family, but it wasn't a Christian family really. Actually, they believed in God, but we didn't really pray together very much, and we didn't consider ourselves Christians. And I was, I was told, well, Jesus was a wonderful man, a very great teacher, but he was not the Son of God. But I was surrounded by friends and neighbors who were almost all Christians, and it was sometimes pointed out to me that, well, actually. Uh, those people are sometimes those people are hypocrites because they're racists, which they were, and they're shallow, which they were. So I sort of liked my thing. I, I ended up kind of getting into arguments with young Christians when I was a kid, and I sort of reveled in the idea I could almost always defeat them and mock them. And that's that's by the time I was twelve or thirteen or fourteen years old, I was a real serious atheist. So that kind of went on until I got to university. And what happened was, Jesus said this, he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. I had never really been witnessed to uh, strongly. I, I met Christians, but they, you know. So what happened was, I was about my first semester in university, and this guy about my age came knocking on the doors in, in, the, in the dormitory, and he wanted to talk to me about the Lord. And I just thought, well, this is great. Please come in, because I'm just going to take you apart. And I did all my little tricks on him, but I, I laughed at him. I mocked him. I just really was not nice to him at all. Couldn't break him. He just kind of kept his calm and kept sharing the truth with me. I never had anybody really talk to me like that. And it, I'm, you know, I expect to see that guy in heaven, and he's probably going to be very surprised because I was the I was a goat. I don't know if I was a snake or a wolf, but I was definitely not a sheep at that time, or wasn't acting like a sheep. But my life changed because, uh, another verse, it says, uh, because they re- receive not the love of the truth, God will send them strong delusion. So after I had rejected this messenger from God, about two weeks later, I met by happenstance a young hippie mafia guy, and he was selling drugs. He was selling marijuana. And I just ate that up. I, yes, I really want to buy some marijuana because this was just sort of happening at that time. Next two years, I'm... Going to universities, I've got a good job, apartment, sports car, but I'm doing uh, psychedelic drugs more and more. I, I guess for one, I guess I was destined, whatever, to be one of the Lord's children, but I was really, really, really on the wrong, wrong path. So these different things would happen to me that I couldn't explain because I believed in chance. Chance. It's, you know, evolution, chance. It's all the roll of the dice. But then God would kind of let things happen that's like, that doesn't, why did that happen right now? Why did he say that? Why did, what's going on? There's something that I don't really understand. I was not, you know, long-haired, weirdo, hippie, good job, decent hair, but I sold kind of drugs on the side to my friends, which was not that uncommon. So one day I was in my smallish apartment and I'm ironing my shirts and I just get this impulse, just this, I, you should take this stuff and put it away. And just like, you know, just sort of a something. I didn't even think about it very much at the time. So I took the the marijuana and the stuff that I had, and I put it in this paper sack and put a loaf of bread on top of it. And I went out the door to the apartment, and there was this guy on a ladder just outside the door of the apartment. He kind of looked at me, and he looked... And I thought, oh, he's just working on something on the apartment, you know. So I go down a few blocks away to this creek and put my drugs under this rock and stuff like that and come back to the apartment. And I never leave the lights on. The lights were on inside my apartment. So that was, I just, I just, just, you know. And I open the door of my apartment and then one policeman comes out of the kitchen. One policeman comes out of the bathroom. Put your hands up against the wall. We have a search warrant. And almost certainly the guy on the ladder was a police stakeout. I had not been gone hardly 30 minutes and so they've looked all over my apartment in those days if you had anything you would go to the state prison for two years Gosh. and i was like about 19 years older that you don't want to go to the state prison and so these guys said you know we could take you in for this little seeds and stint we found but we're not going to win the case but we're watching you so these guys left and it's just like if you've been run over by a truck and the wheels go on both sides of you 
I had missed going to prison for by by you know and what why did i think that right then why did i get that feeling right then to go do that if you're an atheist you have a hard time with that kind of stuff mm. so you oh then you became a christian right no i didn't because i was so hardened mm. so there was different things going on like that but what god allowed to happen was sometimes on some of these drug trips because i was taking psychedelics i would suddenly just have this Almost like almost like an Alice in Wonderland, just like falling into this hole or something, mm. where I would just fall into what I now would call the spirit world. I didn't even have words for these kind of things. I couldn't have even and it was just like it was like hell. It was almost like God withdrew his grace. We all have a measure of grace in this world right now. We're breathing, we have a, a peace of mind to some degree, and this was just like there was no truth. There was total fear. There was no hope. There was no way back. You have complete remorse, and you're just the the level of fear and terror and and dread. It's just that's it's hard to describe. But that was what I was feeling, and it's like it was timeless. Like you're in you're in you're in eternity. What would happen is it's like it's like there's these songs, you know, Bob Dylan song. There must be some way out of here, said the joker to the priest. I, there's too much confusion here. And that's everything. There was no truth. Everything was confusion. Or like, you know, welcome to the Hotel California. Same kind of idea like that. this picture of what we call hell. So what would happen was I would just say, I am never going to do this. I'm never going to do this again. And in a sense, I would believe what I said. It's like vowing a vow. And somehow I would sort of somehow get out of it by vowing this vow. But if you don't have the Lord, <laughs> there's a Bible verse that says, sin shall not have dominion over you for you're under the, not under the law, but, under, but if you don't have the Lord, sin has dominion over you and you're not going to keep your word. Sin is stronger than you. So you know, a couple of months later, I go back and do this again. And the deceitfulness of sin is sometimes the next time it wouldn't happen. I go, everything's cool. Oh, everything. That was just a bad trip. Everything's fine. And so I just sort of be, you know, meanwhile, I'm going to university and have this job. And I do this again with my friends, take psychedelics. Wham! Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I'm never going to do this again. So that kind of went on for a while. And you would think, you know, we just like, how can you be so dumb? But this is the pitiful thing. If you think you're so smart, you're going to university and blah, blah, blah. But in your heart, you are dumb. You're And you're you're a captive to sin. So in a, in a few days, it will be the anniversary of when that happened. And this was the summer of 1969 when it happened. I did it again. I did it again. I did it again. And then my friends put on this new record album. From the Rolling Stones, my favorite group. My, I love the Rolling Stones, and so I put they put this record on, and they had this song with Mick Jagger. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. What's confusing you is the nature of my. It basically, it was almost the first satanic song that had come into uh, the youth youth music, and it was like, oh, oh, that guy's not just. That's not a. He's talking about something real. He's testifying this is and that explains everything it's it's the devil and the devil is real but the thing was there's a price to pay for that and the price is today you are going to go to be with satan and i i could feel like this presence of of satan and did he have horns was he red it wasn't it was it was like a presence but it was almost like a magnetism or a vacuum cleaner and it was just like this and again, there was like, there was no truth. There was complete fear. But this time, basically the devil told me, you know what? You can't say, I'm not going to do this anymore because you don't believe it because you know. So therefore you are mine. Come with me now. And it was so powerful. I, I can verbalize this, but the emotions, I can't verbalize the emotions. I can't. And this is where, you know, people who play around with God, who play games with God and postpone their salvation, let me tell you, you don't want to do that. You do not want to be outside of the will of God and the protection of Jesus. So I was like back in my apartment, and this was like so strong that it was almost like I was almost like in a hurricane or a tornado and I was being pulled out of my body. I knew if I start screaming, I won't be able to stop. 
But then the, somehow in my mind, there's this, you know what? If this is real, they're supposed to be the other one. If Satan is real, they're supposed to be the other one, the good God, the one that you don't believe in. And so during this time, I prayed. I hate to even use that word because it sounds so something. But I asked God, please help me not to die right now. And I didn't die right then. But I didn't I mean for about three days, I couldn't even sleep because I was so traumatized. It was so, so powerful. This, But there, there's a God. There's, there's a God. That's actually somewhere. There's a lot of stuff I'm leaving out. But that was basically what happened that got me to believe in God. The Bible says some saved by fire. And it was like that. God had to just completely work outside my mind. And he had to show me what a mess I was, how weak I was, how sinful I was. I mean, when he, I use those words now because those words describe things that I was experiencing that I didn't even know the words for. I couldn't even describe to anybody what was going on, but it was through the Lord I found, well, other people have experienced these things. Other people have had the same kind of thing. I've almost been pulled out of my body into eternity to go with the devil, and he was right. He, he, was, he was right. You know, I, I, he was, I was legally his, but I appealed to God at the last instant like that.
of Michael Fogarty on that song, On Your Way Down. And I believe Michael was the producer of this wonderful album of witnessing songs from the Jesus Revolution of the late 60s, which nicely complement the testimony of our guest on Nightlight this week, Mark McMillan. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Mark, to get back to your story, did you receive Jesus at this time or were there some things that you had to go through on your journey before you actually got saved? No, I, I didn't receive Jesus at that time because I, I was so uneducated in, in the things of the Lord. I, I got a Bible from my, I asked my parents, you know, please bring me a Bible. And I, I had a big, big change in my life, but still it's like, uh, you know, Jesus Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon, Paul. I didn't know the difference with those guys. And I knew Jesus was important, but so I started reading the Bible and it's like, I started at Genesis and I'm just going to plow through it. And I'm going, you know what? It looks like I need to sacrifice chickens and, and goats or something like that. It's very right. It's right there. And I want to obey God, but I couldn't get it. I just, I mean, I read it all the way. I couldn't understand the whole thing. I went to some churches, but they kind of like, I don't know what, I didn't know what to expect. And I don't think they knew what to do with me. Meanwhile, I mean, I didn't go back to psychedelics. I did kind of backslide in some ways and started using marijuana again. And if you're, if you're building a statue and you have to take it from a rock, you have to hit this rock pretty hard to break off some big pieces before you can start tapping and tapping to get it look like something. And so the Lord was like having to hit me pretty hard and knock off some big chunks of rock. My biggest problem was unbelief. The Lord had to really, 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 because the biggest thing, because that's that's what a background I came from, a background of unbelief and uh, mentality and education. But what happened was, this is again, this is I was by this time I was 21 years old, and I read a newspaper article about these people in the Jesus movement. This was right at the time when the Jesus movement and the Jesus revolution was just really coming up, and I got involved with. Um, student politics and radical politics at my university. I started working on the underground newspaper there and actually ended up being in the leadership of some very large rallies at this university I went to. It's the largest university in Texas. And it was just learning and learning and learning. But so I'm reading about these young people and they, they believe in God and in Jesus and in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I need to go visit those guys. And they were about three hundred, about 180 miles away, 300 kilometers. And so I hitchhiked to go find them in one of the cities in Texas. And I ended up finding them and started talking to them. I was 21. A lot of those guys were 17, 18, 19 years old. So, again, I never met people like that. And right away, well, are you going to heaven? And I told well, you know what? If my good is more than my bad, I'm going to heaven. But if my bad is more than my good, I'm not going to go to heaven. And they said, nah, look at this. And they, they just, these guys, they just start showing me Bible verses. So they show me uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They show me Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then they, they just keep flipping their Bibles and they show me Ephesians 2.89, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. And so I'm just taking all this in, and I'm looking at them, and I'm looking how they live and how they, they work. And I'd seen a lot of people. I'd never seen people like this before because they had a maturity and a knowledge and a soberness, uh, a maturity. I mean, we were all young people, and I'd never seen people like this. And I'm listening to everything they said, and they told me, you need to receive Jesus. 
And they show me uh, Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And I kept, you know, sort of stalling them off and listening and looking around. And then they were having sort of a, a get-together, a little Bible class that night. And I was sort of sitting in on it. And all of a sudden, just like it was just like, God, just, you need to right now. Right now. So I just sort of broke broke the atmosphere. Excuse, excuse me. I'd like to ask Jesus to come into my heart right now. So I went out in the middle of the room and uh, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. That was, again, I was about 21 years old. And it's a funny thing how that worked because I had so many spiritual experience. I didn't have this big, you know, rushing feeling. But the biggest thing that happened, Simon, was that up until I had been reading the Bible and just couldn't get it. But it's like there's these movies, 3D movies, and you go to the 3D movie, and if you don't have these certain glasses on, it's all kind of fuzzy, and you just don't get You put these glasses on, and you go, wow, wow, look at that, you know? And it's like when I asked Jesus to come into my heart, it was like it's like having glasses, but then I start reading the Bible, and the Bible was just jumping into me. It was just like... <laughs> so that was the biggest deal was that through salvation, through Jesus, through getting saved, I began to really absorb and understand the word and they didn't have to do very much to encourage me to serve the lord because i could see from their sample and that's pretty shortened version of how i became a christian encouraging you how very dearly jesus loves you you're listening to nightlight well, since then, Mark, you've gone on to serve the Lord as a missionary in many different countries. You've been involved in different ministries, but I believe a big part of your calling has been in the printing of God's Word. It's It's been things like that. I come from a family of journalists and newspaper people, and so I've been around publications of one kind or another since I was a little boy. Um, yeah, with it about a year and a half, I was no longer living in the States, but I was in Europe, living in London and Amsterdam and places like that. And before long, I'd uh, gotten married uh, to a wonderful sister from Norway. And basically, the Lord just uprooted me from one place. And, and it was it's a wonderful thing. You know, it's a wonderful thing because when you don't have anything but the Lord, there's a it's a, it's a liberation, there's a clarity, and there's a purpose. And this is like, that's what I think a lot of Christians don't have as much is is the discipleship they may be christians but the it says in the bible that the the disciples were first called christians at antioch mm. at, in the beginning the, uh, the christians were disciples mm. but a lot of christians today you can't really call them disciples they're it's a different kind of thing it's um they follow afar off and sometimes they don't even know what discipleship is but the lord's blessed my life in the way where serving the lord it hasn't always been easy at all mm. and i it's grown very slowly i haven't always you know even hard to measure success but uh sometimes it's just being faithful if you just do what the lord tells you to do and meanwhile you're growing Mm -hmm. so yeah i've been out of the last 49 years 35 37 38 of those years has been outside the states and yeah i just so thankful so thankful for the for the life he's given me
special guest on Nightlight this week is once again Mark McMillan. Mark, looking back over your 49 years of serving the Lord, what has been some of the highlights, some of your most fulfilling and happiest times? Yeah, that's a funny thing, you know, because when you're you're in the Lord, you know, you still enjoy, you know, apple pie or a glass of wine or a beautiful look or something like that. You still enjoy those things, but then the Lord puts other desires in your heart and and you, you look at uh, success a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. So it's the way you measure success isn't the same. You know, you don't measure it with money, cars, fame. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven. Once you receive the Lord and you really have God's word working in your heart like that, one of, one of the most major things that God did and is doing and has done to help me uh, live this way is that he really gave me a love for and a gift for uh, the Bible and the Word. Actually, I think maybe somebody you've had on your show before. I think you call him Simon Black. Mm-hmm. I had been a Christian about three days, and so Simon Black said to me, "You know, if you'll just memorize three verses every day, God will really bless you." And somehow that just burned and lived in my heart, and I was just like, "I'm going to do that." And the people that you know, these these you know, the Jesus movement people. That was it was a very strong type of Christianity at the time. It was a real no-nonsense. They even called it, you know, the revolution for Jesus because it was a revolution against some of the shallowness and the things that were going on in the country. But part of it is you had to really know the word. And so I started doing that. I st- all these, Some of these verses that I've been quoting you, these are the verses I started memorizing. And there was more, and there was more. The Bible talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yes, you're saved, but you have to have a, a, a change of mind. Paul talked about that a lot. Well, by memorizing these verses like that, it was it was almost like a rewiring or a reformatting to change me to have the mind of Christ through the Word. And for the next two or three years, basically, I was I was steadily memorizing and reviewing Bible verses 
it's sort of I sort of I don't know. It's been wonderful. I, they're almost like my friends. There's Bi- mm-hmm. Bible verses are almost like my friends. I know when I first met that that friend. Mm-hmm. I know what that friend and I did together. That friend and I had special moments, and and it's like that, or it's like a you collect stamps or something like that. But you just love it, you know. That's had a major impact on my life. And here's what Jeremiah Jeremiah said. Um, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. There we go. <laughs> Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Mm-hmm. And it's like that. It's just where you love. You want to love the, love God. We need to love God. Well, what is that? But you can love His word. You can love the truth that's in God's word like that. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't really maybe the answer that you were looking for, and I wasn't even the answer that I was thinking to share. But I think that maybe is that's one of the deals. Mm-hmm. It's nightlight. What a delight. I'm sure, Mark, you must have also had many memorable witnessing experiences over the years. Tell us about one or two of those. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. I lived in, it's, you know, it's a funny thing the Lord's even bringing to mind, what the Lord's bringing to mind on these things. But I lived in Indonesia for about five years. I was there when this horrific tsunami happened, Christmas of 2004. Four of us were able to get up to the city worst hit, a place called Banda Aceh. Uh, at the northern tip of Sumatra. And that was just, again, it's like where words just don't really work so well. 155,000 people dead. They were carrying bodies away for weeks. Uh, There were whole teams of people. And so everybody is completely traumatized. Also, they're Islamic. The amazing was the peace that my friends and I had, that God made it possible for us to actually be affected, to do things, to do trauma counseling, to bring aid. And we we didn't even know what to expect, but it was like almost immediately the Lord sort of opened door. He did this. He did that. Looking back, it was sometimes miracles are not, you know, arms growing or you're levitating. Miracles sometimes are very practical things. And God can do very practical things that you look back on it. It was miracles. Protection. How many people would be, you know, freaked out to be in an Islamic refugee camp? But we never felt threatened, and we were able to effectively help these people. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very precious thing. It, you know, we didn't, you know, hold hands for salvation for those people. But some of those people had never even seen a Christian before. They didn't know what a, they, they knew what a Christian was, but they'd never seen one. And we were able to work with the kids, to work with the camp elders, to work with aid agencies there. That was one of the stronger experiences I've ever had of being in a, wasn't a war zone, but it was very similar to a really a war, a devastation zone, and to see God using me and my friends. I feel all right when I'm listening to Nightlight. Nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightlight. And you were telling me also about the guy at university who witnessed to you and you made fun of and how surprised he will be when he sees you in heaven. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I mentioned it earlier about this guy who came to my dorm door when I was 18 years old, and I laughed at him and I mocked him and I made you know I just made his life miserable. Mm-hmm. But he didn't waver or quail at all. He just he didn't get mad at me. He didn't lose his temper, and he changed my life because mm-hmm. my life changed because I'd been witnessed to by somebody mm-hmm. who was a good witness and who was a, a good example. And so sometimes I've thought, I've even shared that with other people. Witnessing, I won't say it separates the men from the boys, but lots of churches, most churches, do not teach witnessing. They don't teach you how to witness. Uh, They don't teach you that you should witness. You don't know how to witness, and that's just fine. Most churches, that's how they teach it at all. A few people learn you should witness, but sometimes it's difficult. You have to, and and sometimes you run into people like me who make fun of you, and that's not Mm -hmm. fun. Like I said, when I see that guy on the other side, He's going to be surprised, but I'm going to tell him, you changed my life. That's sort of maybe a message or a note to anybody listening. If you're a witnessing Christian and you run into some really obnoxious, mean-spirited, hellish people, don't think that your witness is in vain. It's not in vain mm-hmm. because you may be, you quite likely are the voice of the Lord and the Spirit of God to those people. And maybe tonight or tomorrow night or six weeks down the line, they're going to come to the Lord and you were a factor in it. Mm-hmm. So don't get discouraged if you're a witness or if you run into some real goatee, 
snaky, woofy people. <laughs> you know, that was me. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I have a similar story, Mark, part of my testimony. At the beginning of uh, 1973, my girlfriend and I caught the train up to London to go to a theatre show. I was at drama school at this time, and we were rushing through Charing Cross Station trying to get to the show on time. And we were approached by this girl who was there witnessing, and she tried to give me a tract. But because we were in a hurry, I pretty rudely brushed her aside and said, oh, so sorry, but we're in a hurry. And she very calmly, but with a beautiful smile, said, oh, that's okay. And, you know, as I hurried on, I somehow knew... I'd made the wrong decision and that I shouldn't be in such a hurry that I didn't have time to stop and hear what she had to say. But the thing was that her smile was imprinted in my mind's eye. And for the rest of that night, the next day, actually, I can see it in my mind's eye still. I could see her beautiful, peaceful smile. Well, a few days later, I had to go again through Charing Cross Station. It wasn't her but it was somebody else who offered me a track, and this time I stopped, and I heard what he had to say, took the tract home, read it, and that was the first real step for me on the road to salvation not long later. But for that girl, well, she might have had a tough day witnessing. I may have just been another one of many who brushed her aside, not interested in what she had to say. And like the person, Mark, who witnessed to you, I never saw her again, and I think she may be very surprised to see me in heaven and to know that her smile, the way she reacted to my rudeness, was the first step on my road to salvation. So when you're witnessing, you never know the effect that you may be having on others and how the Holy Spirit may be convicting them. 100%, 100%. And it's so funny what you said right there. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but you said... I should have heard what she had to say. Mm -mm. And I don't know if you had that song around, but that was a song were written way back at that time where, you know, one day while walking down the street, a man with a Bible I'd had happened to meet. He told me about Jesus crucified. I said, go away, friend. I think you lied. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should have heard what he had to say. So I don't know if you have that song around. It's an old song. You may not have that one. No, but it's so it's funny. You said that, you know, I should have heard what he had to say. And it's like that. It's like witnessing is tough, mm -hmm. but that, takes you to the next level it's an obedience god gives his holy spirit to those that obey him and we're mm -hmm. supposed to be witnessing christians the early christians were witnessing christians mm -hmm. but this is again where sadly the churches many of the churches just don't do that mm -hmm. but anyway yes thank god for anybody and everybody that's witnessing confess somebody help me out of this mess i'm feeling kind of lonely in this big world my friends true colors show when their flags are unfurled nobody loves me yes they do no they don't jesus does can't believe it try it well i haven't seen it's all by faith what's that supposed to mean jesus really loves you and he wants you to my soul what am i here for to do or to be it seems like all is vanity nobody loves me that yes sure. they do no they don't jesus does i can't believe that try it i haven't seen it well you can jesus really loves you and he wants you to know mm, i don't know man A phony always Just let Jesus Christ come in today He can be through you what you could never be He's the purpose, he's the life, he's reality Because he loves you, yeah, I, I, yes he does no, no. 
I believe you. I get it. I get it. some wonderful witnessing memories of that song because when I first went as a missionary to India in 1975 before I got into radio ministry we used that song as part of a salvation skit that we did at the end of many programs we did at schools in the Bombay area I don't know how many thousands of Indian children received Jesus when we prayed with them at the end of that song anyway Mark here we are all these many many years later I got saved in 1973 when the Jesus Revolution came over to Europe from America. And like you, I've been a missionary in foreign lands ever since. Now you're back in America. And let me ask you, how has the world changed? How has America changed? How is it being back there again after so many years? And where do you think we are in relation to end time prophecy? How close do you personally think we are to the second coming of Jesus? Will it be in our lifetime? (laughs) There's some questions for you. I've tried to live my life where I'm ready either direction. I I do not regret having lived my life for the Lord, not laying up treasure on earth, not having a big this or a big that, but just living as a missionary. I don't regret that at all. And I feel like if we see the the unfolding of the final events of the end time. We see uh, that temple in Jerusalem. We see sacrifices. We see the man of sin. We see the mark of the beast. If we begin to see those things, then those are really the hallmarks of the very end time. But if we don't see those things and we all, you know, things keep on stumbling along, I don't feel bad at all that I've lived for the Lord and that I've told people about the coming of the Lord. But then the question is, well, where are we at? It's a, it's a funny time for me to be in America. Originally, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a politician, not for glory or power, but actually uh, I wanted to help people. I wanted to serve humanity, and I felt like being in politics would be a good way to do that. But during my time in university, I, I saw, because I worked on a major newspaper, I just saw how it's not like the way you're brought up. It's not really like that. And I became super disillusioned, and that was a long time ago how much worse it is now. Uh, There's a Bible verse that says, truth is perished. And that's, for me, in America, I have to really, I feel, work hard to try to find what the truth is because there's so much deception from so many different directions, politically, uh, socially, morally, every which way, religiously, there's just so much crazy stuff going on and you have to try to sort through it. And But the a lot of the good is, Christians can't really be as shallow as they used to be. If you're going to be, especially if you're a young Christian, you have to basically be a fighter. You have to you have to stand up for your faith uh, because people will attack you spiritually. They'll mock you and they'll question you, and you may not be able to have as many friends as you did. So there's more of a separation in a sense, and the Christians are more separated. And a lot of Christians are realizing, I'm going to have to choose. Am I going to choose my nationalism or am I going to choose the Lord? Mm. Am I am I going to be a citizen of heaven, like, like Paul talked about, or am I going to be a citizen of this world? Mm. So there's good and bad going on. I think more and more people are just coming to the Lord and, and to a higher level of Christianity, to a more commitment, mm. because they're just seeing this is crazy. The world is really getting bad. So in a sense, that's good because it makes stronger Christians. Do you think there'll be a new Jesus revolution in these very last days, like another move of the Spirit among young people, or are we a dying breed? I, I read a lot of history. I read the basically history of Christianity almost every night. And and you know I've looked over the last 2,000 years and I it, through history. I've seen different sort of 
you can call them Jesus revolutions or revivals, great revivals, and how the Lord has just raised people up. John Wesley and, and John Whitefield, these guys were a major force in the 1700s. While the French Revolution was going on, people were being just, you know, decimated with all that. Over in England, just across the, the channel, they were having the Wesleyan revival. So it's very interesting how these things happen. I don't think they can be, be predicted, even mm-hmm. what happened with us. The simple answer, Simon, is I don't know. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I hope so, but I don't know. Uh, but even in the worst of times, we're talking about Daniel. When Israel was falling, Jerusalem was falling at that time, in that generation, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, three major prophets God raised up during that time. So God's never left himself without witness. God's going to do something. Uh, sometimes sometimes he just lets it all fall apart. Sometimes he raises people up. Of course, we know that he is going to raise up those two end-time prophets in Jerusalem that we read about in Revelation chapter 11. Yes, yes. Well, that's that's the thing today. It's like, and that's what I'm so thankful for because Paul talked about in in First Corinthians seven. He says, "They that use this world is not abusing it. We're able to use the world. We're able to do what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. This is going to be on the media and going out to people that we'll never meet. And I've got videos, so we're using the world in that sense, and we're able to multiply ourselves. Mm-hmm. But whether there's going to be a, a giant wave." Maybe so. I think as things get worse, the Bible predicts that there will be witnesses. The, the Bible talks about the woman in the wilderness, which I believe are, are the Christians. Daniel 11, da, I mean, great, Daniel 11. They that understand among the people shall instruct many. This is supposed to be in the last three and a half years. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. They're going to be Christians in the final days that the Bible talks about. Mm-hmm. So some Lord's going to do something. It's an exciting time to be alive. It is an exciting time. Signs of the Times. Mark, you're based now in the US, but you also do a lot of traveling to various countries, including the Islamic world. Do you see any signs of spiritual hunger in these other countries outside of the US? Absolutely, absolutely, and particularly in the Islamic world. This is this is one of the things and one of the ways which Americans and people are propagandized. Yes, there's some horrible things that have happened in the Islamic world. Yes, that some of those groups are horrific. But then what happens is we're, people try to make it in that all of those people are like that. They're not. I've had so many experiences with Islamic people who are spiritually hungry and who actually, even in the Quran, they know about a lot about the Lord. They esteem Jesus. And if you don't believe me, talk to him sometime because they know a lot about Jesus. Maybe they don't believe it exactly the same way we do, but they're not, they're not atheists at all. If you go about it the right way, you, you find much, much spiritual hunger in that part of the world. Shining bright through the dark night, you're listening to Nightlight. Mark, for those who are listening to this program, most likely they are already saved. But what if they're inspired to want to do more for the Lord? What can they do? Yeah, well, I hope and pray and that people will feel that tug in their heart because the Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I believe that with all my heart, the Lord is drawing people right now because the darkness is deepening. In Sweden, in America, in California, it is getting horrifically crazy. And the believers are going to have to take that pulling from the Lord to be pulled out. Jesus said in Revelation 18, come out of her, my people, that you be not protected. It's talking about Babylon. And this is, this is in the last days. Come out of her, my people. And this is one of the things that God is trying to do is to pull people out of the worldly systems and out of their worldliness into a greater discipleship and service for him. He said, you know, Moses was told by God to go to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. Not to just be selfishly go to church on Sunday, but to serve the Lord. And this is what's needed, serving the Lord, putting God first, seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what's needed. Practically speaking, Mark, how can people do this, come out from among them? Should they minimize their use of the internet, their mobile phones, spend less time on the media, a lot more time reading God's word? Practically, how can people come out from among them and be separate from worldly society? 
Yeah, those are really good questions. One of the things that if you can find a strong, sincere Christianity, brothers and sisters that you can fellowship with, if you can't, pray for that. Ask the Lord to help you find some other people who are trying to take a higher level of Christianity, Mm -hmm. a greater level of discipleship, a a greater separation from the world, greater commitment to the Lord, because we need each other. We can't just do this by ourselves. And and the enemy of our souls tries to isolate us. Mm -hmm. And sheep hang out in sheep folds. Goats, they can run off by themselves. Foxes and wolves, they run off by But sheep, they hang out together. So if you're one of the sheep of God, you need to find other sheep to be with and to grow in those things, to grow in the Lord and to grow with your brothers and sisters. So mm-hmm. decent Christian fellowship, it doesn't have to even be a big church. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's five or 10 or 15 people because there's a lot of power in those kind of get-togethers like that. So I hope anybody listening who is on their own who can find good Christian fellowship and feeding and, mm-hmm. and can grow as disciples. Mark, thanks for all you've shared and for being once again our guest on Nightlight. God bless you. So glad we could do this. Thank you, Lord. The light is always on with Nightlight. Well, let's go out with one more song from our featured album, Someone Sent Us Here. And I'll be back again next time with another edition of Nightlight. God bless you. Bye-bye. Walking in a world all alone, full of greed and hate.
have been listening to an international edition of Nightlight. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at nightlightshows at gmail.com.